This podcast covers a murder that occurred in 1983. It is a true story, and while I have relied heavily on police reports and public documents, the opinions of the host and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. The credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Along the way, while researching this case, I received numerous tips from local Reed City citizens that I passed on directly to police. This one was odd enough that I'm not even sure if it's related to Jeanette's case. But because I have heard that at least three and possibly four people saw this strange thing on the day in question, I feel as though it's something the community needs to consider. When I spoke to Detective Pratt, I mentioned it, and it was new information to him. He had never heard the story before, even though I was told that at least one of the people who saw this mentioned it to Chief Rathbun back when it occurred. I do want to stress, though, that I have no idea if this is related to Jeanette's case. Let us all raise our glasses to our guest of honor, Miss Emily Kimberly. Oh, thank you, Gordon. Well, I cannot tell y'all how deeply moved I am. I do feel it's time to set the record straight. I'm Edward Kimberly, the reckless brother of my sister, Anthony. Ah! Commercial, cut it, and cut. You remember that movie, right? Tootsie. It was released on December 17, 1982, almost a month to the day before Jeanette's murder. So it would have been in the public consciousness, as they say. The trailer would have been running all over TV spots, at least for the month or so leading up to the release. And it was a very popular movie. So now we'll get to the actual tip. When I very first started researching this case, I helped to put together the first memorial walk for Jeanette. And I was tasked with going to local businesses and hanging up posters in their windows. I stepped into the local bakery, which was called Wright's Bakery at the time, although it is now gone, and they graciously agreed to hang one of the signs. We got to chatting just in general about the case, and one of the employees an older woman named Jane, said to me, You know, whenever anyone mentions that murder, I always think of this thing that I saw that day. Bill and I both saw it. Bill was Bill Camburn. Jane and Camburn worked at a store called Dancers, a few doors down from Gamble's. It was actually on the corner of Upton Avenue and Chestnut Street, right downtown. And the store had big windows from which you could view that entire intersection. Jane said that sometime around that two to four time period, she and Bill saw what they said looked like a man dressed in drag walking south on Chestnut on the opposite side of the street from where they were, toward where Yoplait is now. There's a big Yoplait plant on the corner that she's speaking about 
directly across the intersection from dancers diagonally. Jane said that it was a fairly big man, wearing a dress, with big clunky boots, and it always stuck in her mind because, quote, you don't see cross-dressers or men in drag in Reed City, ever. I remember at the time just being floored that she was using those words dressed in drag. Neither she nor Bill recognized the person because he was also wearing a big hat. I was able to get confirmation from Bill Camburn that this had occurred, and he said he had just come back from lunch, and when he came in the store, he pointed the person out to Jane. He thought the time frame was around one or two. He also said the person was wearing a dress, big boots, and a hat, and thought maybe a coat with fur on the collar. He even said, when describing the scene, that it reminded him of Tootsie. Camburn also said that he believed Mr. Bisbee, a local antique dealer, may have seen this person. Unfortunately, Mr. Bisbee is now deceased, and so far I've been unable to find anyone he may have told this story to. So if you are a relative or friend of Mr. Bisbee, and he told this story to you, I'd love it if you could contact me on the Down and Away Facebook page, or just private message me on Facebook. Okay, here's some weird questions. Some guy was walking with a... They said that walking on the street was walking with some uh, woman's cross-dressing Okay, that was my next question. Where'd you hear this? <laughs> uh, You're not the third person that told me that. That was Ivan, the former owner of the Buckboard Bar, who also told me about this, that he had heard someone else had seen it. Another person that I have yet to track down. All I know is that his last name is Miller, and he is possibly the nephew of someone named Glenn Miller, who lived in the Chase area, and that Glenn possibly worked for the Wolverine plant. So, on its face, it could just be a strange occurrence. But then you have to ask yourself, why would a man be dressed like a woman walking down the middle of Reed City in 1983? AIDS had barely started stirring up a fright at this point and people with anything that was even remotely close to an alternative lifestyle generally were not out back then. And if they were, the whole town would have known they were. I even went so far as to contact a local transgender woman to ask if it could have possibly been her. She was a long-time Reed City citizen and said there was no way she would have been caught walking dressed as a woman back then. She hadn't even come out until the 1990s, and knew of no one else in that area that would have been out in that way back then either. So if it was a man dressed in woman's clothing, walking down the center of town, why? Again, it's probably unrelated, and it seems totally off the wall. But what if it isn't? What if that's how the perpetrator got out of the area with blood on his clothing? What if he couldn't get safely back to where he had parked his car when he came to the store in the first place? Like maybe he parked out front. And he didn't think he could walk to his car with blood on him and not be noticed. Or even if he parked out back. Remember, this is a small town. People know each other and they know their cars. And if they would have seen someone with blood that they recognized coming out of the store 
and getting into their car at that specific two to four time frame, that might not have gone unnoticed. What if he was afraid of even being seen exiting the store at that time, at all, because he knew that he would be linked to the crime? These are all interesting questions, but then you have to ask yourself how this killer, absconding in female attire, found women's clothing somewhere in or around the gamble store. Were there boxes of old clothes in that back storage room on the men's store side, through that rough-cut doorway between the pet store behind that tarp? Maybe boxes of personal items that were stored back there from when they had originally made the move to Reed City. And what about that upstairs apartment behind the furniture department? Any female attire up there anywhere? It would be risky, though, for the killer to leave that basement and go upstairs, taking a chance of being seen by customers or employees as he walked up there. So it would definitely have a lot to do with timing and knowing where people were in the store when you were moving around. You could certainly make a case for someone who had planned the attack to bring women's clothing as a means of escaping unnoticed, but I don't think the killing was premeditated, primarily because of the use of weapons of opportunity rather than one he brought specifically to kill Jeanette. I do believe that he acted impulsively and used what was available to do the job. It is likely that this sighting of a male dressed as a female is a crazy coincidence and has nothing to do with Jeanette's case, other than he happened to be walking through town for whatever reason right around the time she was being killed. If it were related, and he was the perp using a disguise as a getaway, that would have to mean that he absolutely got enough blood on him that he couldn't get away without somehow covering it up, and then he had to frantically find something to do the job. Could it have been as easy as sneaking through that tarp between customers, hiding in that back room, and happening upon a box of old clothing? The boots that he was wearing were described as over-the-ankle, maybe galoshes, so they might have even sold those at Gamble's with hunting jackets or raincoats, but not the dress or the hat. Those sounded like the kind of stuff you find at a thrift store or your grandma's basement or a box of old clothing and the perp would have had to happen across them somewhere in the store, which would then be another strange coincidence. I do think it's an outlandish idea, but I shouldn't have Googled it. I typed, escaped by dressing as a woman, into the search engine, and I got more hits than I would have expected. National Geographic had a whole documentary about a man who made a daring escape from a Mexican prison dressed like a woman. The one thing I will note is that there was a lot of blood. That we know. Some of the things done to Jeanette suggest that you would have to be close enough to her body to get some of that blood on yourself. I always entertain the possibility that the perpetrator came into the store wearing a jacket, and maybe they took that jacket off when it got covered in blood and exited that way and that their clothing beneath the jacket was clean enough to get out of the store without being noticed. And even in the original newspaper reports, Prosecutor Talaski mentioned that they wanted people to be on the lookout for 
someone getting rid of items, possibly clothing. So I will end this episode with this. If you were in Reed City that day, January 19, 1983, in the downtown area, and saw what appeared to be a man, dressed as a woman, walking down the street, I would love it if you would contact me. Certainly, if you were in Gambles that day and saw someone who looked like a man dressed as a woman, I would have hoped that you would have already come forward, but if not, now's the time. Also, if you were in the store that day and never spoke to police, you need to contact them. Even if it's only to give them the time you were there and anyone you may have seen, the timeline in this case is extremely important. If you have any information about the murder of Jeanette Robertson, or anything you feel might be helpful, a man you saw her speaking with that day, between that two to four time period, or even on another day close to the time of the murder, contact the Michigan State Police or the Reed City Police Department. I will put all of their contact information up on the Down and Away Facebook page. You can also send me a private message, and I can pass along an email where you can send your tip. Stay tuned.